everyone, and welcome to the Resonance Test. I'm your host, Pete Chapin, from EPAM Continuum. To work at Southwest Airlines, you need a warrior spirit, a servant's heart, and a fun-loving attitude. Or so says Heather Figallo, the organization's head of design, innovation, and entrepreneurship. We can vouch for this assessment because we've worked with Heather and her crew on a digital wayfinding project, and these folks rock. Our Lee Moreau chatted up Heather on a recent visit to Texas to talk about what it's like to innovate within the highly regulated airline industry. Heather says, we don't wonder what the future holds, we're wondering what future we're going to create. And given that we work at a company whose tagline is the future made real, we were obviously pretty excited to hear her say this. She and Lee also discussed how we applied the idea of responsible prototyping on their recent project together, and how the do-the-most-with-the-least ethos has altered Southwest's general approach to change. Heather and Lee even plunged into the idea of how human-centered design doesn't just fulfill the golden rule, but the platinum rule as well, which Heather describes as treat people the way they want to be treated. Want to know how that gets achieved? Well, let's tune into their conversation now. Heather, it's so great that you're joining us. Um, it's been a long day down here in Dallas, but uh, it's been an exciting one too. So I'm really glad that you're taking the time to join our podcast. I'm sure our listeners are going to be really excited to hear about you and about the work you've been doing at uh, a really incredible company, Southwest Airlines, the most uh, most flown, most profitable, most loved airline, as you like to call yourselves. Um, so. You've said about Southwest Airlines, and I'm quoting here, we hire for personality. We don't hire for specific skill sets uh, unless it's a real specialist. It's about cultural fit, and I like to say they glow in the dark. So, okay. Uh, uh, and you can see, and you, said, you also said you can see when it just doesn't work, and there's a lot of coaching that's going to happen. So mm -hmm. how would you describe your personality, and how do you fit into the Southwest team? Okay, so one of the things that Southwest looks for in an employee is, we call it warrior spirit, a servant's heart, and a fun-loving attitude. And those are pretty self-explanatory. So I'd say those are brass tacks, you know, cost of entry. You have to have that type of personality. I think that there are different people that are suited for different types of roles. I definitely shouldn't be like the head of internal audit or, you know, um, <laughs> something like that. My the way that we look at our personalities and our working styles at Southwest, we use um, Gallup's Gallup Strengths Finders, and mine um, basically add up to a sentence that says, "A leader that inspires hope uh, by casting a vision." And so the thing I like about that is that I give people hope, especially in a industry that's, you know, very heavy asset focused, very logistics focused. And it's fun to be the person that brings people um, back to life a little bit by by showing them that there could be a new way or or that kind of thing. So it fits into my personality fits into Southwest in that there's always been sort of this maverick mentality. Um which is unique in this industry because this industry is so grounded in safety and, and procedures. So, you know, everybody here feels like a good mix. We try and have people that are sort of full hemisphere. But you think you got the creative side and then you've also got just sort of like the analytical side. So, But hope is unique even for... <laughs> oh, hope is unique not just in a company like this, but in general in our society. Mm -hmm. That's something that is in short supply. Um, <laughs> Talk about that and how it's supported your whole career path and, and then sort of what you're doing now. So I'll tell you something funny about that. About maybe four or five years ago, I did a TED Talk 
um, here for one of the local TEDx events. And I've always been a person who people, they'll meet with me and they'll be like, oh man, I feel like I can go do anything or thank you so much for giving me this advice. I'm going to go do you know, fill in the blank. And typically what I do when I'm talking to somebody is I just say, yeah, you could do that. You could do that. And I think so many people are, you know, wanting to say you can't do that or give you all of the reasons why something wouldn't work. And I'm always the person that's trying to figure out how to make it work. Um, but I, when I did my TED talk, there was a woman shortly thereafter that sent me a letter that said she broke up with her boyfriend, picked up all of her stuff and moved to St. Thomas and decided that she was going to live in the islands. And, you know, her parents were really mad and everything. And so I wrote her back and I was like, don't do that because of my TED talk. <laughs> like gave me, I felt like, you know, there's definitely some responsibility with, um, you know, being the person that people are looking towards for a vision or inspiration because you have to make sure that you're, um, casting that vision in with very positive intent, you know, because people may take it and run with it, and you want to make sure that they're headed in the right direction. So with with fostering great hopes comes great responsibility <laughs> or something to that effect. Correct. Uh, so, you know, at Continuum, we've loved working with you and your colleagues, and it's exciting to work so closely with an organization that was innovative well before that was cool. Like, you guys were innovative before that was even a thing. Um, Tell me what you look for in your collaborators as you try to innovate within the most flown, most profitable airline in the United mm -hmm. States, this big, big organization. One of the things that's great about being at Southwest is that we are the leader and that we do have this really very um, real purpose and real, uh, we're really grounded in our, in our belief system. The thing that makes heart, makes it hard about being the leader is the only group that you're competing with to win is yourself. So you have to actually look outside of your industry to stay number one and you have to hold yourself to a standard, um, that's above what everybody else is, is holding themselves to. So, um, I think that, you know, we spend a lot of time looking for people that are like-minded, that believe that you're a creator and that we don't wonder what the future holds. We're wondering what future we're gonna create. We're not waiting for something to happen. We're casting that vision for ourselves and saying, this is the way that we're gonna be. And if we are a leader in the industry, this will be the, the way that the industry will be. So um, it wants, we want it to be something that we're proud of and that you can feel good about. You can close your eyes at night and go to sleep. A perfect example of that is our stance on transparency and our stance on being transparent in the way that we communicate rates and the costs of travel. So, you know, we're really proud of that and we're really proud that you can go on a trip without any additional fees because we know it's the right thing and, you know, it'd be great if the industry would follow us in those types of efforts. And, and how does that um, focus on purpose and delivering that value to customers um, impact you as you're trying to implement new ideas within the organization? So as you partner, work together, um, and churn through a very complex industry and organization, you know, what's, the, what's, the, what's the roadmap to get things out, out the door? Uh, you know, transparency is, is clarity and it's a media plan, but then right. there's other much more um, 
uh, tactical and right. challenging things that you're also doing operationally. One of the things that I've always believed in, and this is where I love you working with you guys um, on this type of work, is because you totally get it and have locked arms um, in this mindset, which is there are different constitu- constituencies that are involved. Um, there are the company, there is the employee, and there is the customer. What I like to focus on is the things that are in common across those groups. So we know that everybody wants to be safe. We know that everybody wants to be on time. We know that everybody wants to be friendly. We know that everybody wants it to be low cost. When we focus on the things that we all have in common and that are alike across all those groups, and you fill up all of your time and space working towards things that are in common and that benefit everyone, the things that are your differences sort of fall off to the wayside and seem way less important. I feel like a lot of people make a mistake about dealing with the exceptions or dealing with the the areas where you're not um, necessarily congruent, where if you would just shift your time and focus and energy towards the things where we all have a common um, need or desire, that that's what ends up filling all of your time. And everybody's happier because the solutions that you come up with work for everyone and and that just feels good. So we did a lot of prototyping in the work that we did on the digital wayfinding system. Uh, we created a mock airport, did some exploration in virtual reality, and even tested it live in Dallas Love Field here and right across the street. Um, so what did you think of all this? We, you know, we call it responsible prototyping, this notion mm-hmm. that we're just prototyping to the fidelity that we need right now. Mm-hmm to tell the right story and mm-hmm. to elicit the right stimulus from within customers. Uh, and I'm really interested to hear what it looks like from the other side of the room. What does it feel like on the client side? Well, I love it because it totally aligns with one of our core values, which is about keeping costs low. And so I love the mindset that you guys have brought to the table. And I say it all the time, I've stolen this from you, is um, do the most with the least. And so when you do the most with the least, everybody, you know, what we what we hear about the work and the prototypes that we put in front of people are things like, how much did that cost? Like in a surprise that it was not expensive, you know, that we do have this thrown together kind of with duct tape and glitter that we're trying to, um, what I say is, um, you're not going to have to work so hard to imagine what it would be like. We're taking, because there are a lot of people in the world that are critics and they can tell you how to make something better or why something won't work. But there are very few people in the world that are creators. And when you can create something and have a non, like no ego, you know, no pride of ownership, and you create something and put it in front of people for it to have critics, for it to be critiqued, um, and you're able to do that at a very low cost in a very fast manner, um, I think people really become vulnerable with you. Like they see that you're just putting your heart and soul in something. It's like, it's not from our team. It's like of our team and that it's been created of us and of our intent. And when people see it and they know that we've done everything we could to save money and to make it fast and um, to do the most with the least, they actually honor and respect that approach. And then they're very honest with their feedback and very honest about whether something's going to work or not. So I actually think there's a vulnerability to approaching things in that way that says, we're not perfect and we know we're not, but you are the expert and you're the person that can help us make this perfect. So let's make it perfect together. And then everyone's bought in. 
I think it's really interesting in that when you bring up vulnerability because so much of the prototyping that we do now, yes, there's a lot of physical prototyping that you can physically engage. It's, it's, there's a bodily connection to it, but so much of it is, is digital prototyping where mm -hmm. it feels um, ephemeral at times and almost like it's not even there. Uh, can you talk about how specifically data played a role in the digital wayfinding project? I mean, so much of this was, the effort was involved in collecting and leveraging and sharing data and you relied, you did a ton of stuff on the inside and rallied a lot of resources to get all that done. Um, why was Southwest uniquely positioned to, to pull this off? Well, I think there's a couple of things that, that we did. Well, our distribution model, us only selling directly, actually gave us a foundation for so much strong operational and customer data that, you know, we can look at things in a, in a different way, maybe than other organizations that don't have a direct distribution model. So I think, you know, a decision that was made 20 something years ago actually is now, you know, thanks to whoever that person was that made that decision or the people because they're making my life um, a lot easier. So uh, I think that there's a, something special about the data that we even have available to us that other airlines may not may not have. But I think the other thing that this human-centered design process and this very kind of empathetic approach um, and a fresh approach, we, you know, when we're not predicting any certain outcome as we go into this project, was that it was almost like being a baby, you know, and that you just would hear all of the things that are possible or hear all of the different data points, start over. And then we showed the data in such a different way. And it was, the you know, 85 or 90% of the work that we did was the same data that's shown in an airport today. It was just massaged or utilized in a different way that made it much more human, much more consumable. Um, so I really feel like, you know, there was some magic in the data set that we have. But I think the real magic was turning data into knowledge and turning data into something very personal, you know, where instead of saying your flight departs in 12 minutes, it's you don't have time to get a coffee, you need to start heading to your gate, like more friendly and human advice. So um, I don't know if that answers your question exactly, but that's sort of my, my point of view or what I've been thinking about the way that, because I've been thinking about it a lot um, in the way that we utilize the data and what made it so special. I, it does answer my, I mean, I do think the distribution model and a cu couple of other idiosyncrasies that mm -hmm. make you you um, put you in a position to do some things that others wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to uh, achieve. What, but what I think is interesting at the end is where you talk about personalization. What can we now do with that data? That's right. So what are the implications to customers and even employees downstream? And I don't know if you've been exploring... You know, I have in just like my own mind, I've been thinking about, gosh, you know, for example, we can tell if this is your hometown. You know, if you're flying out of a city and like we're, you and I were talking about something different earlier, but when there's a situation that let's say a flight last flight of the day gets canceled. Well, we never look at are they in their hometown? Like that's not the first thing we look at. And it's like, what we could, you know, that'd be a pretty easy way to look at things. It's like, do you live here? Because if you live here, like, you're probably not as stressed out as the person who doesn't have their bag and doesn't live in this city, right? And so I think there are little things like that, maybe, that we haven't looked at the data in a, you know, in a rolled up fashion that says, oh my gosh, this fight, flight's going to be 
you know, all of the, a lot of customers are displaced versus not very many are displaced. So I think there's little nuggets of data that we haven't started digging into. What does that mean about how you deliver service? You know, is this person on their leg out or are they on their way home? You know, and what does the leg of their trip that they're on change about the way that you would provide personalized service and whatnot? But that's a great, I mean, that's a great example of what we call sort of human-centric data, right? Mm -hmm. We're using all of these ways to evaluate data that are purely about operations and mm -hmm the business and money, mm -hmm. um, but what if we like cross cut all the data with things that people care about That's and, right. and, and really look at it a different way. And I think if you're w positioned to do that as an organization, um, that's kind of unique. Uh, what, what are some of the results you've seen from this project? What are some of the outcomes? I feel like probably the most surprising outcome of this is how well it has been received. You know, there. if you go back to what I was saying earlier about the commonalities across all of the different groups that were involved with this project and really focusing on making sure people have the information that they need right now, making sure that they understand and have the confidence that comes with having all of the information you need and that you can trust the information. Like, all of these things that we felt were so important to the overall um, delivery of the work, I feel like that intent and those things came through so strongly that, you know, yes, there were nuances in the design, like a font would be bigger or smaller, or maybe the colors didn't contrast enough, or something about the visual elements that maybe, you know, we refined and finessed during the time that we were testing it. But I think this mindset that we took um, to find the commonalities across all of the different people that would be using this or um, consuming this work really came out in the results. I mean, I've never in my career, and I've been doing this stuff for 20-something years, I've never had something with 96% customer satisfaction, 94% employee satisfaction, um, you know, just the buzz and the wild kind of reception and adoption that, that came with this work. I've never seen something like that. So is the plan to expand this to other airports? So we know that we're putting it in Love Field and working with the city on that, and we're excited about that. And then going into 2019, the intent is for us to have it in more stations. We're figuring out exactly where those are right now um, so that we can make the most, again, do the most with the least. You know, where are the few places that we can put something like this that really benefits people um, the most? And any ideas about what do you think the impact might be for the rest of the airline industry? I actually, my hope is, and you know, this might not be the hope of everybody else at Southwest, but my hope is that we actually, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. And my hope is that we make the industry overall better and that we make air travel better for customers and their families. Because when you do that, like you're just helping the entire category. Um, and, you know, I would love it if air travel was seen as a very approachable, easy method to get from here to there, an affordable way to get from here to there. Um, and so that we can, we can help people connect to what's important in their life. So uh, my hope is that we just make the category better overall and we raise the expectations of the type of um, experience you should have when you're traveling in commercial aviation. You know, of course I want us to have a little bit of a unique advantage, but I mean, uh, really, air travel, just bring, making air travel great again, making air travel fun again. Okay, well that's 
that's pretty ambitious and that's awesome. Um, I, I love that. Uh, but I, this notion, and I know this is part of your ethos, which is connecting people to the things that they care about and they love. I, I think maybe that's a good pivot in some sense because I, I want to change the topic a little bit and talk about the role of human-centered design at Southwest Airlines. Uh, you know, I've witnessed its growth internally here over the last couple of years since we've been working uh, and I've also played a part in that. How is human-centered design changing the organization at Southwest? Um, I will tell you, human-centered design principles align so tightly with the value system of Southwest Airlines that it has been, like, literally, look, it just gave me chills to, like, think about it because <laughs> it's so perfect for the way that we, the way that, for what we believe, right? I mean, our, we have one belief, and that is the golden rule. And I think that that is human-centered design. That is treat people the way that they want to be treated. Actually, one of our founders, um, and uh, she's currently the president emeritus, is Colleen Barrett, who's the first woman president of any commercial airline, um, and she's an icon in this industry. I was speaking to her one time about, you know, do you have any regrets, and is there anything? Every time I meet somebody that's like an icon like that, I just like, tell me, you know, give me some advice. Tell me your, you know, something you would have changed. And I think that this is what we mean when we say the golden rule is, um, you know, treat other, treat a person the way uh, you would want to be treated. But she said, I would treat the person the way they want to be treated. And that's the platinum rule. And I said, wow, you know, that is just really, really uh, profound. But I do think that that is why human-centered design has taken off so quickly here is because we do believe that if we take care of our employees, they'll take care of our customers and that'll take care of our shareholders. Um, and through this work, we've demonstrated over and over that we want the employees to be part of creating solutions that make their lives better. Okay, the platinum rule that mm -hmm. pretty much blew my mind. It's good stuff. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, not for me. Yeah, that was no, like you know borrowed. Colleen's God. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, what What has human centered design allowed you to do then that you weren't doing before? So it, you know, it squares with your your fundamentals, your ethos and the golden and platinum yep. rule and all that, but what can you do now with it? What I feel like has been the greatest shift in the way change and transformational change and innovation has been viewed are a couple of things. One is this extremely disciplined approach. It's an open and free, it's like disciplined open-mindedness. Right. And I think that the rigor and discipline that comes with the way that we're approaching this work has actually given it the credibility within an organization that is highly regulated, that is highly disciplined, that safety is of the utmost concern and it's high stakes. You know, if you miss a flight or whatever, it's like this is not you know, child's play. You could be, we think of each flight as like you could be missing a wedding, a funeral, like a significant um, f uh, life event. And so I feel like the discipline and rigor has given it the kind of street cred that it needed in an industry that is so highly regulated and an organization that's so focused on safety. The other thing it's given is it has given me the right to walk into the boardroom or walk into a meeting room and somebody asks me a question like, what's going to happen? And I can say with great confidence, I do not know, but I know that I have it in the plan to answer your question. Today, the only questions I can answer are, is it desirable? Do people like it? Is it a brand fit? Is it feasible to roll out? Can we viably sustain our business by implementing this solution? 
And that has actually given the executives and the people we work with a totally different perspective on how to approach change and that we're going to do again do the most with the least so get get to a decision where we can stop one of the things that's really interesting about our culture is that we are very kind to each other and we do want to be considerate towards each other so no i call it the southwest no right where it'll be like huh yeah i love that idea but go and do a whole bunch more research get a whole bunch of more you know quantitative data and all this stuff that is kind of like if it's not a yes it's a no right and so what i've seen with human-centered design is it totally gives permission to say no because hey we went to see if people like it they don't like it stop working on it we recommend stop working on it right and so i'm actually recommending the no based on these very objective results instead of putting the pressure on someone else to um, have to shut down something that they're worried like it'll hurt my feelings or it would make me feel bad or I would um, have some sort of you know negative experience coming out of it so it's like it's just given everybody license to go oh well you know what kill it and we've only spent five thousand dollars so it doesn't matter you know instead of having to make a big decision, lots of little decisions. So you brought us back to culture, and I, it's good because I want to come full circle in some sense. I want to come back to the per- notion of personality and culture and brand. Uh, I know that culture, you know, I'm using air quotes here, culture is really important at Southwest. It, it, it's, I've been to a few of your big rallies in Phoenix and Dallas and Orlando, um, and I, can, I felt that extraordinary energy firsthand, um, that warrior spirit totally on display. But there are also times when a strong culture can hold back an organization. Um, can you speak to both sides of this? Have you seen both sides here at Southwest with such this with such a powerful culture itself? Yeah, so it's interesting because, you know, everybody, culture is something, yeah, it's sort of like this collective consciousness where people come together and have maybe some sort of like movement, core belief system or whatever. But I think everybody within their heart has their own unique definition. So to me, our culture is about being a culture of champions, right? So, um, and doing the right thing. So it's like, we're going to win, but we're going to play by the rules and, um, we're going to be nice. And what I feel has been really interesting is I hear people all the time say, oh, gosh, you know, you're making me uncomfortable, but I know I need it. Hmm. Right. I had I think this is actually the greatest story to demonstrate the culture of Southwest Airlines and that what I call like the ancestors of Southwest Airlines and the people who were the founders and you know I just give them the utmost of respect because they built this place from I always say from nothing to everything you know on their backs with warrior spirit and sort of like by working their asses off and uh, being nice to each other and having a good time, like celebrating, hey man, something great happens, celebrate immediately because you don't know what the next day holds, right? And there are sort of this, there's sort of this echelon of people that are still here. They haven't decided to, to uh, retire yet and I'm glad they haven't because I've learned so much from them. But um, there is a man here named Greg Wells and he is the 
I guess I think he's the executive vice president of operations. I'm sorry, I don't might might not have his title right, but um, when I first was here and I launched a fir- my very first kind of hackathon, which was very count like we don't just go hack, you know, we don't do that here. And then um, I um, he came and saw the judging, and so then uh, he called me into his office the next day, and. I was like, oh, God, you know, super nervous. I didn't know what was going to happen. And then um, so I stuck my head in his door, which was like behind the executive thing. And I didn't have my badge. It was just like all I was very nervous. And uh, I stuck my head in this door and I said, hey, do you you still have a few minutes? And he said, yeah. And uh, he goes, I want to let you know why you're never going to be successful with innovation here. I'm like, well sweet because we could just cut to the chase and I'm not going to have to like you know work here for five years and you know uh, it'd be really hard and he said it's me and I was like oh okay and uh, he goes but I don't I don't want that to be my legacy and he said let me explain I'm the head of operational performance at that point and he was the one who held the operation responsible to be on time and to be reliable and he said we we work our operation and have it optimized all day every day and you are going to get a lot of kind of resistance because people are held to such a high operational standard they don't have time to test so they're never going to say out loud they're going to tell you they want to test they're going to tell you they want to try new things but they just actually can't get into it with their whole heart and I don't want that to be my legacy. I want my legacy to be that I prepared this airline for the future. So I want you to help me. And I said, absolutely. And, you know, we need to help each other. So we have a nice partnership. And uh, I said, I can help you right now within the next 30 seconds. I can help you get started. And he said, what's that? And I said, instead of talking about someday soon we're going to change, we've changed. We've, it's done. We've changed. Oh, that's true. And so he's like, I go, anytime that you talk about change, you say, we've changed. And now there's no choice. Now we're, we're, now we're working together because we've changed and we have to make things better. And still, literally yesterday, um, he's still here. He tried to retire, but we were like, no way. Um, and I was in a meeting with him yesterday, and he still is just a steady consistent advocate and the people that have been here for a long time that want us to be great and stay great um, when their chapter here is over are the ones who really have set the tone that's that's a great story I think to end this um, and I I think talking about changing is probably the, the best way to to close this I feel personally totally transformed and changed by my interaction with you over the last couple of years me too <laughs> this has been a, a really incredible ride and i know yeah. we're only at the beginning so That's right. thank you so much for your collaboration and for taking some time with us right now uh, on this podcast and to all of our listeners out there i hope you got a great taste of what heather uh, is all about so thank you thank you epam continuum is a global innovation design firm with studios in boston milan seoul and shanghai at EPAM Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. Because from our perspective, ideas aren't really innovative until they exist. 
Thanks to Heather and Lee for their great conversation today. Cheers to Kip, our sound engineer extraordinaire for getting this podcast recorded. Numerous appreciations to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all of his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Pete Chapin, and to our listeners, we thank you for your ears. Thank you.